And uh, so we're, as I mentioned, we're really excited to, uh, to host His Grace, uh, Adikarta uh, Das, a senior disciple of Srila Prabhupada. He joined ISKCON in 1974 and spent much of that time since preaching and distributing books. Uh, Adikarta Prabhu has lived around the world, including the UK, Ireland, South Africa, and India. He is currently based in Alachua, Florida, where he and his wife of 42 years have a farm with a dozen milk cows and oxen. He also preaches at the University of Florida often. Adikarta Prabhu will be speaking to us uh, about Krishna consciousness and agriculture tonight. Um, so please join me in welcoming him. Uh, thank you, Adikarta Prabhu, for joining us. So, how many people are very new? How many people have only, you know, started going to the classes in the last few weeks? Maybe you could raise your hands. <laughs> Anybody in the last few weeks? No? So you all convinced that Krishna is God and God exists, yeah? Okay. Because I kind of prepared a class based around what Aoquin told me that, you know, a number of the people didn't know anything about it and they were brand new people. But it doesn't matter. So basically, yeah, my talk was entitled Back to Nature. <clears throat> And I believe that, you know, the Hare Krishna movement, to be really successful, we have to show people how human beings are supposed to live. And I do believe that without living close to nature or without the majority of the people living close to nature, then I don't think the world situation will change very much <clears throat> because basically we live in a very artificial kind of way in the modern age. Very artificial, um, you know, we eat food that is grown by somebody else. We drink cow's milk from the store and we generally uh, we're addicted or we're completely, you know, we, we have to use kind of modern amenities, which cost a lot of money, for one thing, which somebody has to work in a factory to produce, uh, which don't solve the main problems of life. Because <clears throat> as Srila Prabhupada pointed out, Many times the main problems in life are birth, death, old age, and disease. And no matter how advanced technology you have, it's not going to solve these problems. So, you know, we're trying, modern scientists and modern man is trying to make life easier and more enjoyable with technology. But at the end of the day, we're also finding that you know, there's more and more problems <clears throat> which are a result of a modern lifestyle. 
So this modern lifestyle, <clears throat> you know, like the industrial revolution that only began a couple of hundred years ago, before that, most people lived in a village or in the country and uh, they worked physically harder. They didn't, you know, they didn't go to the gym or anything because they kept fit living on the farm. <clears throat> They've done a lot of research into some of the longest living people in the world and most of them live rural lifestyles actually, close to nature. So we've been fooled into thinking that, you know, we're much more intelligent than bygone ages, but this is all an illusion because basically human beings have become less intelligent. And uh, the example I give is very simple, is that the uh, Sanskrit language is the most sophisticated language in the world. But if you Google what is the oldest language in the world, you find it's Sanskrit. So if Sanskrit is the oldest and the most sophisticated language in the world, obviously people were more intelligent previously. But we think, you know, modern man is more intelligent because we have motor cars and smartphones and everything else. But, uh, you know, people don't know how to be happy nowadays. So we may be technologically advanced, but most people, they're not really satisfied, they're not happy. And uh, even at a place like Harvard University, which is obviously one of the best, if not the best university in the world, people have a lot of stress and anxiety, so much so that a lot of them have to seek counseling for it. So, you know, we are trying to be happy in, in a very artificial kind of atmosphere. And uh, this artificial lifestyle is, is very detrimental for the health as well. Because, because basically, you know, you don't get to breathe fresh air, you don't drink good water, you have to drink bottled water or water from the, from the tap or the faucet. Um, you sit in an office all day, you know, you're not really out in the fresh air. <clears throat> so, despite the, you know, the illusion that we're living longer nowadays, um, that's not what the Vedas say, because we actually put our faith in the Vedas because we're all imperfect beings and therefore we cannot see beyond our own sense perception. So therefore we have to take knowledge from a higher source. Just like if you want to know who your father is, if you don't know who your father is, the one person who can tell you is your mother. So there are so many things we don't know about the universe, about life on other planets, about who is God, what is life for, <clears throat> which individually we can't ever understand those things. We'll never know about life on other planets. You can't see other living entities on higher planets. You can't see what happened here two million years ago. So basically, to know these things, we have to consult the Vedas. And the Vedas are the original books in the world. And of course, the Bhagavad Gita is our basic book. 
And uh, Krishna says that he first instructed <clears throat> the sun god, Imam Vibhasvate Yogam Pratavam My first instructor, imperishable Santa Yogi, the sun god, Vibhaswan, and Vibhaswan instructed it to Manu, the father of mankind. So this is very ancient knowledge. And uh, all the greatest thinkers have studied the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, Bhagavad Gita gives very practical instructions on how to actually be satisfied <clears throat> because we're all trying to be happy with the physical body but the problem is the body is just a bag of chemicals and we're much more important than the body but we wouldn't really know that we might have some understanding of that like socrates he believed that he was more than just a physical body Socrates, you know, he's one of the greatest philosophers. People still study Socrates in university. But his knowledge is very preliminary. But he did understand because they forced him to drink poison, hemlock. Because he believed in the spirit. And so he said, you can kill me, you can kill my body, but you can't kill me. So he knew that he was more than just his body. So we, we may have some inkling of an understanding that we're not this body, but the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says what the soul actually is. He says that the soul is eternal, it's uh, prim primeval, uh, cannot be slain, cannot be dissolved in water, cannot be burnt by fire. So the soul is eternal. It's different from the body. So the modern society is living for the body. <clears throat> and the body gives limited enjoyment because we see that, you know, nobody can enjoy forever. And generally, the more you try to enjoy your body when you're young, the more you suffer from physical problems when you're older. So the body gives limited enjoyment. And... Uh, there are so many different kinds of problems with the body, different diseases you can get. There are innumerable diseases that you can get from your body. And a lot of them are caused by the modern way of life, like cancer. That's a modern disease. Of course, they've had other diseases in the past, like tuberculosis. They had the Black Plague. In Europe, millions of people died from that, but that was because of unsanitary conditions. So, but if we go back to, if we actually have faith in the Vedas, because the Vedas are, are very accurate about many things, like part of the Vedas is the health aspect, the Ayurveda. So Ayurveda is a very scientific way of understanding somebody's physical condition. So just by reading your pulse, if you have a qualified practitioner who reads your pulse, they can tell you exactly what's wrong with you. And I've experienced that. You know, I was amazed. I went to see an Ayurvedic doctor one time and uh, he read my pulse for a few, just about a minute or something, and he could understand my mind, he could understand my body. So, you know, it's a science. And, and the Vedic knowledge is very scientific. And the most important 
scientific aspect of the Vedas is, you know, who are we? Why are we here? So we have so many wonderful universities and academic institutes to teach us material knowledge, but there's none that teaches who we are and how to be happy. So when you go to university, they don't teach you how to be happy. They don't teach you who you are. They don't make you more intelligent. So therefore, uh, you know, we're putting a lot of faith in going to university. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to university, <laughs> but everybody goes to university and it costs a lot of money. But we're saying that <clears throat> they're not going to teach you who you are which is really the most important thing in life. Because if you don't know who you are, you can't possibly be happy. So we have to know who we are. And uh, if we study the Vedas, it's very clear who we are. But, you know, modern society, it's, it's hard in a way to be a devotee because the mainstream of modern society is so atheistic and so materialistic because they've all been fooled into thinking that either, you know, there's only one true religion, which, you know, generally people that practice religion nowadays, they think theirs is the only true religion or that there's no God at all. And these are all due to the history of the world. In the last few hundred years, you know, people have, seen the degradation of religion and you know with the uh for instance the spanish inquisition so that made a lot of people wonder about religion you know what kind of religion is that they torture people or we had the holy wars or we have people who don't have logical answers to simple questions like most religious people nowadays, except for Hare Krishnas, they don't have answers for simple questions. Like if I ask somebody, you know, why would God allow an innocent child to be born into terrible suffering? Why does God allow that? But they don't have a logical answer, even though, you know, there's been so much uh, research into reincarnation and uh, people that can remember their previous lives. There's not so many of them, of course, but there is this research by very uh, painstaking researchers. They've done a lot of research and they found that, that some people, few people, generally young Asian, because they can remember their previous lives. So because religion has failed to answer these basic questions, who is God? What does he really send people to hell forever? <laughs> That's not very exciting. How can you love someone like that? So people are very skeptical about religion. And uh, <clears throat> so we find that, you know, we're living in a world where either people are very atheistic and very cynical about religion or they're religious fanatics. And they think theirs is the only true religion and that, you know, if you believe in a blue god who plays the flute and has 16,000 wives, <laughs> you're kind of worshipping the devil. <laughs> so this is the state of the world. But in India, we find that, you know, there are so many temples of Krishna. If you've ever been to India, there's a temple on every street corner. 
every shop has a name for some great spiritual personality from the past, like Govinda or Ramachandra or Vishnu or Gajendra or Hanuman, because the whole culture was based on spiritual personalities. And of course, in India, even nowadays, we find that so many temples are so crowded. You know, they have so many people queuing up to go and see the Lord, even just for a couple of minutes. You don't see that in America, because India is a holy place. And Indian culture is very important because Indian culture has answers for everything how to organize society, how to uh, perfect your life, how to, leave the, how to leave your body, how to die, how to go back to the spiritual world, how to do everything. So we're living in very ignorant times and, and one of the things that makes it more complicated is that we, we have to make so much money just to survive because life is very expensive. You didn't have to have a car, you know, until they invented the motor car. And as soon as you have to have a motor car, because nowadays, you know, you, you really have to drive places. So therefore, unless you live in a big, horrible city, and then you have to take a subway. You know, I'm from London. I'm not really a, a farm boy from the country. <laughs> I'm a Londoner. And, uh, but I shudder when I go there or when I go to New York. I mean, it's great for meeting people and preaching and selling books, but to live there is just a nightmare. You know, people that live in those big cities, it's, it's just like living in a pressure cooker. It's horrible. You know, you have to commute, you have to catch, if you live in a big city, I don't know if Houston's not that big, but it's big enough. But you live in most people live in these big cities, Los Angeles, London, New York, Paris. You know, you have to commute every day to get to work, sitting on a train, just looking at your phone, playing some game, not looking at anybody. You can't look at anybody to think you're crazy. And you're stuck in this subway and you gotta listen to the subway train. Um, it's just not life. And then you have to sit in an office all day with people who you know, a lot of times you don't even get along with. And uh, if you live in a city, you have to pay a huge amount of rent. Or if you buy a house, if you can afford a house. Or if you live in a count, you know, if you're poor, you live in these huge, like in London, a lot of poor people live in these horrible multi-story high-rise apartment buildings and they're just so impersonal and ugly and you know they got graffiti the, the lifts they stink this is a hellish life <laughs> it's not what life is all about so unfortunately you know people believe that this is we're advanced and we've actually made a lot of progress it's very sad because people are suffering so much and they have no idea what life is all about. So they die just like an animal dies, has no idea where it's going to go when it dies. So people die 
and they have no idea where they're going. And all the families are all broken up. You know, there's no kind of extended families anymore. The children want to get away from their family as soon as possible. I'm painting a very depressing picture, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's the truth. <laughs> you know, the families are all broken up because people see their parents, they say, I don't want to end up like that. I got to leave here, <laughs> let me get away. <laughs> they have such a boring life. The parents are fighting all the time. They don't get along, they get divorced. I don't want to be a part of this. Let me go somewhere else. So, <clears throat> uh, anyway, the modern industrialized way of life does not work. It's not going to work. It will never work because it's not the way we're supposed to live. It's not healthy. It's not happy. Uh, there's nothing good about it. The only good thing about it is if you if you're good at making money. You can live in a city and make a lot of money and uh, use the money to get a nice farm community <laughs> or build temples. Or else, you know, in a city there's a lot of frustrated people, so it's good for meeting people to tell them about Krishna consciousness. And I've, <clears throat> you know, I've done my fair share of that because I've lived in London, I was distributing books and went to all the big cities in, in England and different places. But ultimately you have to show them what is a better way of life? How did Krishna live? So Krishna, he's the, the original guru and he had cows and he lived in the country. And even though he had a beautiful city, he could have lived in Dwaraka. And Dwarka is unimaginably better than New York or Paris or London. You can't compare it. In Dwarka, you know, the elephants would spray scented water on the, on the road. And, you know, the palaces were built with coral and marble and encrusted with gems. You know, India... India had the most gems and that's why the British became wealthy because they ransacked India. India was the wealthiest country, it still is. They have one temple in India, which is worth, you know, billions and billions of dollars. They have so much gold, but it's all kept locked up and they won't sell it because they know that actually this belongs to the deity. This doesn't belong to any individual. So, yeah, Krishna, he could have lived in, in Dwarka in a beautiful city. And, uh, but he liked the country. He liked to live, you know, where the river was, the river Jamuna, where the Govardhan Hill was, where the cows were. Because this is the best way of life for a human being. And... Uh, so I believe that, you know, the Hare Krishna movement, we have all the answers and just by coming in touch with Krishna and reading the books and becoming f convinced of the philosophy, that's great. And that's, it's not great, it's perfect because you can perfect your life. You can free yourself from all suffering. But at the same time, 
we also want to demonstrate a more natural way of life. And we want to, okay, so, you know, yeah. he talks about the environment and global warming and everything else, but the best solution for it is to go back to a more natural way of life. Because even if everybody lives natural, if, if everybody uses solar power or electric cars, you've still got to have factories to produce them. So there's still going to be energy used, some kind of artificial energy to produce all these things. Whereas living closer, and Srila Prabhupada, he coined the phrase, living in the lap of nature, just depending on nature. Of course, people wouldn't want to depend on nature nowadays because we say that nature has become very violent. You see so many hurricanes, you know, they had a big uh, hurricane in Houston a few years ago. I can't remember what it was called, but everyone was flooded, right? And then in New Orleans, constant hurricanes and tornadoes, earthquakes, freezing cold, scorching heat. So this is all reactions due to our karma. Because while we're living in the modern way of life, you know, we're accruing a lot of bad karma because as we know that, you know, in the modern age, so many billions of animals are killed every year. Billions and billions of them. And this is generating a lot of bad karma, which means that somehow or other nature reacts in a very aggressive way to teach us you're not living the right way. So fortunately, a lot of people are thinking about this. They're becoming vegetarians or vegans, but at the same time, you know, they don't really understand that if you want to have a perfect society you have to go back to a more natural way of life and it's very nice you know nature is beautiful the way krishna has created nature if you watch nature like i live in the country like i said and i get up every day you know quite early and i like to watch the sun and every day it's different it's like a movie <laughs> sometimes the cloud is shaped like this I mean, we've had a lot of thunder and rain lately, which is nice too. But uh, nature is wonderful. The way it actually is so generous. You know, you plant a seed and you get so many things, like we have fruit trees. So you plant, we have a nice mulberry tree. I don't know if you know what, the little kind of, uh, like a raspberry kind of mulberry, but better. And uh, this tree, one tree produces so many of these fruits. We have loquats and they just spring out of the ground. The tree, I mean, the tree gets big, but you know, the seed transfers everywhere around here and we've got so many of them and they grow up and they provide this very nice fruit. And there's so many of them. And, uh, Nature is just inconceivably well designed. <clears throat> so it's just like when you, when the fruit gets ripe, because it doesn't all ripen at the same time. Some of it ripens so that you can pick it and the other, and then it comes off the tree very easily. 
and other fruits, they're not ready yet, so you can't pick them off the tree. So it's all nature's arrangement. So, you know, I do believe that if we got back to a more natural way of life, then all of the problems of, you know, if, if people actually practice spiritual life, because it's very hard practicing spiritual life when you have to make a living, when you have to work hard, you know, full time in a job, nine to five. Because it, it does take time to practice spiritual life. Of course, you can do it if you live in a city. But at the same time, you know, the more time you have to practice your spiritual life, the better it is. The better it is. So we, you know, we just advocate that one should simplify one's life and try to uh, live as naturally as possible. And ultimately, ISKCON needs to provide farm communities where people can get away from the city. They can live in nice communities. I mean, unfortunately, you know, we don't have many of them, but we should have many of them where anybody can go and get out of the city and live naturally and drink, you know, good, clean water, which isn't bottled water, which doesn't come from a faucet and uh, you know, see nature, see the cows. And this is just human life. So what else can I say? Uh, I mean, I've, uh, I didn't really understand this so much until I'd been a devotee for about 25 years. Because for the first, I mean, Srila Prabhupada found that he talked about these farm communities and he wanted them. Um, you know, the last stage of his life, he was always emphasizing about Varnashram. And, you know, talking about going to the farm and showing people how to live simply. He, he, he was talked about it a lot. So... You know, he wanted it, but, you know, we were told mainly that, you know, distribute books because, you know, this is also one of his major instructions too, is to distribute books. So I spent the first 20 or so years of my life mainly focusing on book distribution, <clears throat> which I still do every day, usually. But after about 20, 20 years or so, doing that, I realized that, you know, we, the only way we can succeed in ISKCON, the only way we can really change the world in a big way, how, to, how people actually live, is by demonstrating how to be happy living close to nature, living on a farm. So then I left the UK, I went to the US, First of all, I in North Carolina and I moved to Florida after a while. But, uh, you know, I'm so glad because it's so much more peaceful living, living in the country. Although, you know, we need to preach in the cities, but, you know, to show people 
how wonderful nature is and how nature can provide everything we need without having to work in a factory or in an office. This is really what Srila Prabhupada wanted. Because right now, you know, we don't really have time to practice spiritual life. We're too busy having to make ends meet, to make money. And living in a city, you know, to kind of uh, offset the boredom or the anxiety or the humdrum life of just doing a job which isn't that enjoyable. We want to spend the money and therefore we buy nice cars, nice clothes, things like that, just to supplement the, what's missing in our life because we're not really experiencing real pleasure from this modern way of life. So <clears throat> it's what Prabhupada wanted and it's what the world needs. And I think that all, all the problems would be solved by this, except, you know, birth, death, old age, and disease, but you would have more time to prepare for that. So just like nowadays, you know, a lot of old people end up in old folks' homes. They end up in care facilities because there's no extended families. So the Vedic culture, you know, they had extended families. The whole family would live in, in the same place and they would all work together to uh, grow the food and have the cows. I mean, India was like that until very recently and then the Western industrialists got involved and they, you know, convinced them that the, the style of farming that they were doing was too, um, it, was, it was outdated and they needed to modernize and get tractors and use, you know, uh, GMO seeds and uh, modern equipment for farming. The result was that at least 300,000 farmers committed suicide. Because you see, this modern way of life, it has some attraction. Because we think, I have a nice car, sit in the car, go to the movies. But it doesn't work. So, whereas the majority of Indian people lived in the villages until fairly recently. Now they sold their land, they go to live in a city. And you find in the city, there are so many people living in tents, living in squalor, because they give up their natural life because of the allure of the city. And it's just an illusion. If you go to Mumbai or Delhi, you'll see thousands of millions of people are just living on the streets with plastic, Roofs, it's, it's hellish. So this is, you know, uh, what happened in India was that the first person who was the president of India, his name was Jawaharlal Nehru, and he was convinced that we should follow the Western way of life. And so, you know, he tried to bring India into the 21st century which was a big mistake. And therefore we see that, you know, India is one of the most polluted places in the world because we know 
you know, because Krishna appeared there, it's a source of a special place. But because they tried to imitate the West without knowing how to do it in a better way, you find that in Delhi, for instance, there's tons and tons of pollution every day. It's, it's just not horrible. So, you know, we need to get back. The Vanashram system is created by Krishna. Krishna says, I created this uh, divine system consisting of the four orders of life, the Brahman, the Kshatriya, the Vaishram, the Shudra. So the, uh, the Brahmins, you know, they, they should study the books and preach the Kshatriyas, they should protect the people and the cows, and the Vaishyas, they should produce food, and the Shudras, you know, they serve doing simple service, menial service. So this is a perfect system that Krishna created. But we don't have, uh, you know, most of the farm work in this country is done by immigrants. And uh, because they don't get paid much, they don't, they don't ask too much money, they're desperate to get some dollars. <laughs> well, it's very artificial. So, you know, we should get out to nature and see the stars in the sky and the moon and the cows and uh, try to grow some food. And this will actually, just going in the country, actually helps the mind feel more peaceful. Watching a screen all day, like we're doing, it's okay. But you know, it's, it's so artificial, isn't it? So anyway, maybe I'll stop there, and if you have any questions, I realize everybody can't just jump up and go and live in the country. I understand that. But, you know, it may not, it may not be possible for everybody. But at the same time, it, it is something that we should see as a very important kind of goal of the Hare Krishna movement to get away from our artificial dependence on, on, on modern you know, modern machines, modern amenities, and try to depend more on nature, depend more on the cows and the land. Because we see that anything could happen in the modern age, things could easily collapse. Hopefully they won't, but we'll see. So anybody have any questions? Regards to Prabhu, uh, you mentioned that you had 40 acres and, and a dozen cow, uh, cattle. Um, how did you make that transition from city life to a, a rural and agricultural life um, while also being a, uh, you know, being a very active devotee in preaching? Uh, well, I mean, as far as... <clears throat> Somehow or other, my karma permitted me to 
You know, I never, actually, I never worked for a living. Not since I joined the Hare Krishna movement in 1974. So I was very fortunate that I think because I had been distributing books for 20 years and, you know, we were strict about going to the program, going to the morning program, Mangalatik and everything else. Some other other that accrued some good karma for me and uh, just, you know, I had the opportunity to get some land. So I just moved into the country and uh, yeah, it wasn't difficult. <laughs> I wouldn't move back. <laughs> just that easy, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's not so hard. All right, so don't, don't miss the morning program. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important, yeah, because it's something Prabhupada emphasized a lot. And, you know, to actually get uh, love of God, you have to prove your seriousness. And you, you do that by forcing yourself sometimes, in some ways, to get up early, to go to the program, to chant 16 rounds a day, to do all those basic things that, which Prabhupada emphasized so much. He said, you know, whatever you do, follow the basic things I've given you. So those are the basis of our spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And the farm community, farming, living in the country, that's secondary to following the basic principles. But for a lot of people, it's hard, it's hard to follow those basic principles because they live in a city and they have to work and it drains them. It's very draining. And you're going to Mangalati for most people at 4.30 in the morning. It's hard when you have to go to work at, you know, you have to get prepared to go to work at eight o'clock or whatever, right? If you live in, in a city and you have to commute, you have to catch a train at seven to get to the office by nine. Very hard to practice your spiritual life like that, right? But when you live in the country and you don't have to go somewhere to work and you just have to milk the cow and grow some fruits and vegetables, you have more time for your spiritual life. Anyway, so I didn't find it hard to make the transition because, I mean, I'm not totally dependent on the land. I mean, it's not like we're completely self-sufficient. I wish we were, but we're not. But at least we have milk, we have some fruit, we have some vegetables, and, uh, you know, we're getting there slowly. <clears throat> but Prabhupada did want the majority of devotees to live, on, live in the farm communities which is hard for Westerners because we're not used to it. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it's said that you can make the, you can take the, the man out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the man. So in a way, it's hard for devotees to adjust to that simple country lifestyle. But you can have the best of both worlds. You can live in the country and you can go preach in the city. Mm. 
But some people like living in the country. I mean, I like living in the country, but I have to go and meet people as well. Mm. I see. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, especially out here in Houston, it's like there's super highways and suburbs and everything everywhere. So it's like um, there aren't a lot of options, you know, except to go two hours out of the city. But uh, yeah. But I think we have, you know, a small project out here that we're hoping to, you know, ramp up and at least demonstrate, you know, the benefits that you're talking about um, of the agricultural and natural lifestyle. Um, but even if you can't immediately go live in the country, live on a farm, mm -hmm. at least get out and see nature as much as you can. Right. We walk in the country, we go to the park, you know, see... God's creation, because Will Shula Prabhupada, he quoted one famous British poet, his name was John Cowper, and he said that the country is made by God and the city is made by man. So the country is, is far more beautiful. You're looking at these big, ugly concrete buildings and highways and hearing the traffic and it's just very hard on the consciousness. Mm. When you hear the birds singing and you see the flowers growing, it's just much more peaceful and pacifying on the mind. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions? Who uh, was wondering how you got interested in how you became a devotee? What you were doing, or what attracted you to Krishna consciousness? Oh, okay. Well, I uh, I was not really satisfied in life at all. I was very frustrated. And, uh, you know, I was looking for the meaning of life, you know, why we're here, what's it all about. And so I was really quite desperate, to be honest. And I happened to bump into a devotee in London, and they gave me a, uh, an invitation to back to Padanta Manor. And I got a record and a book, a magazine, back to Goddard magazine. So next day I went out to the temple, the manor, and uh, I really liked it. And I asked if I could stay. So I ended up staying there and basically that was it. I never left. And then after a few days I was out distributing books which I really actually really enjoyed distributing books. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, I felt right at home out there doing books. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had a great life. I've never regretted becoming devotee. Would never want to go back to my previous way of life. It was, I mean, I came from a good family and not poor or anything, but 
just not satisfying. Okay, anything else? Can't see anybody. <laughs> People are hiding. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? All right. Um, I mean, if you can't go live in the country, it's okay. <laughs> The main, that's, that's not the ultimate goal of spiritual life, but it's something I think is very important. But if you can, it's good. But if you can't, and you're, you know, you're satisfied where you are, and you can practice spiritual life nicely in the city, that's fine. You don't have to go live in the country. So, basically... Prabhupada didn't tell people to change their position. Lord Chaitanya didn't tell people to change their position. He told people to stay where they were because things were a lot more natural back there in Navadweep and you know, in India, rural India. Didn't have big cities in those days. But you can still be satisfied practicing your spiritual life in a big city. I know devotees who are transcendental. They can stay in a big city uh, you know, for decades, decades, and feel totally satisfied because they're absorbed in preaching. But if you're not a preacher and you're really struggling to survive in the city, then maybe, you know, think about a change. Yeah. So, was there another question? Nobody. Sarvabhala Prabhu, was, did you have another question? I was just wondering, like, we get a condition to certain variety of foods that are grown all over the world, you know, and I think when you live in the country, there's maybe one or two crops. Yeah. Come up. Somehow we have this, this mental, I think this mental block grows where you feel that it would be hard to live simply. But I think when you live simply, you get a higher taste. But could you comment on that? I, I think. Uh, well, I mean, we don't just live off we, what we grow. We go, we still buy stuff in the store. You know, we're cheating a little bit. But. <laughs> I mean, ideally, we would live like that. You know, we just see what we grew. That would be perfect. But we're not there yet. So in the meantime, you know, we're buying things from the store. But at least, you know, we're getting our own milk products. And milk is the most important food. And if we, if we wanted to believe what Prabhupada said about milk products, you know, I sent some quotes um, but says he emphasizes so many times how you know protecting cows is is very important and to, to drink milk products is very important and Brahmins need milk products to actually have good intelligence to understand uh, spiritual life 
So I'm trying to find the quotes. That's not it. Anyway, Prabhupada, just so, you know, he emphasized so much how we have to uh, have calpitation to be healthy. I've got, a, I've got it on the screen now. You got one? Oh, there it is. Okay. After good rains, the grazing ground for the animals can't see it all, that's the problem. Can you read it? I can't read it because the the pictures are here at the center. Um, after good rains, the grazing ground for the animals was full of green pasture, and both the bulls and the cows sat down on the grass fully satisfied. The cows, followed by their calves, appeared tired of grazing because of full milk bags. Calmly and quietly, the cows and calves rested and ruminated, chewing their cud. There's a couple more quotes there. Uh, yeah. And grazing ground for the cows are among the essential needs for society and the welfare of people in general. The animal fat required for the human body can be well derived from cow's milk. Cow's milk is very important for human energy and the economic development of society depends on sufficient food grains. Sufficient milk and sufficient transportation and distri distribution of these products. Lord Sri Krishna by his personal example, taught us the importance of cow protection, which is meant not only for the Indian climate, but for all human beings all over the universe. Less intelligent people underestimate the value of cow's milk. Cow's milk is also called gorasa, or the juice from the body of the cow. Milk is the most valuable form of gorasa, and from milk we can prepare many important and valuable foodstuffs for the upkeep of the human body. The killing of the cows, a human society is one of the grossest suicidal policies and those who are anxious to cultivate the human spirit must turn their attention first toward the question of cow protection. If we really want to cultivate the human spirit in society, we must have first-class intelligent men to guide the society and to develop the finer tissues of our brains. We must assimilate vitamin value from milk. Devotees worship Lord Sri Krishna by addressing him as the well-wisher of the brahmanas and the cows, the most intelligent class of men who have perfectly attained knowledge and spiritual values are called the brahmanas. No society can improve in transcendental knowledge without the guidance of such first-class men, and no brain can assimilate the subtle form of knowledge without fine brain tissues. For such important brain tissues, we require a sufficient quantity of milk and milk preparations. Ultimately, we need to protect the cow to derive the highest benefit from this important animal. The protection of cows, therefore, is not merely a religious sentiment, but it means to secure the highest benefit for human society. So it's pretty clear that, but you know, we have to we have to also see all of the things Prabhupada wanted. Like he wanted book distribution. He wanted uh, gurukuls, you know, schools for the kids. He wanted a lot of different aspects. So we can't just focus on one thing only, but we have to try to, you know, have a broad vision that all of these things are really important to establish a well-rounded, complete society.
So we don't want to be fanatics, you know, if somebody can't be a farmer, well, maybe they can, you know, work in the restaurant or make lots of money and support the, the farm or, you know, there's lots of different ways we can be engaged in spiritual activities, not just growing food and farming, but I, I just believe that, you know, based on what Robert said there, is something we have to show people. And it's becoming more realized, understood by more people, more devotees in ISKCON. That especially during the pandemic where things are very topsy-turvy and we really can't say everything's not going to collapse. Everything could collapse at any time. You know, they're printing trillions of dollars and there's nothing to back it up. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. But... It's just a very artificial way of life. There's no security in this modern way of life. We're all dependent on money. What is money? It's a piece of paper. If you're a billionaire, what's it mean? You know, you've got lots of zeros on your computer screen. It's not real. It has no real value. So Prabhupada said real wealth is land and cows. Having money in the bank is not real wealth because it's just sitting there not doing anything but if you have land you can grow food you can eat so we need we need to try to take these instructions of Srila Prabhupada seriously because they're very practical okay it's nine o'clock what's next thank you so much Karta Prabhu for uh for an awesome class um Feel like I gotta go get out in the backyard and start planting something <laughs> immediately. <laughs> um, let me see. Oh, you know, actually, Stephen actually did have a question. Okay. Um, if we're stuck in the city for the time being, how can we best practice spiritual life? Well, like I said, by having good sadhana, practicing very seriously, if we live near a temple or if you live in a temple, just having really good sadhana. Sadhana is really something that is essential. If you, you know, if you live in a, if you live in a city or if you live anywhere, you have to have good sadhana. Because without good sadhana, you won't make spiritual progress. <clears throat> so if you're serious, you have to really, uh, you know, you have to just strive very hard to follow Sri Prabhupada's directions about getting up, doing the morning program, hearing the class, etc. So that's what I would recommend that if you live in a city, I mean, if you can go out and preach in the city, that's good, but <clears throat> right now I know it's difficult. But, you know, read a lot. We've got so many books you can read. Okay. Um, well, thank you again, Adhikarsa Prabhu. Um, you know, with uh, over the next 10 minutes, we'll, we'll be playing some of the, the Kirtan uh, that you recorded. Um, no, 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 no. I'm sorry? Yeah, <laughs> we'll do a couple minutes. And then after that, we'll, uh, we'll close the program. Thank you again, Adhikarsa Prabhu. I'm sorry? Where is the program? Where is the program?
Where are you having a live kirtan? Oh, uh, I'll just be playing the recording that you sent. Yep. Oh, somebody else. Mm -hmm. okay. I think it was uh, MP3 that you sent over. Huh? Uh, just the, the MP3 that you sent uh, sent over earlier. Okay. Could I ask one more question? Sure. You must meet a lot of vegans, and many of them are nice people. Some of them have a hard time understanding that we're not exploiting cows, but we're, you know, sort of having a good relationship with Yeah. How do you, what is your experience with vegans? Uh, I know there's all kinds of vegans, but can you say anything well, about that? It's, it's a tricky thing with vegans because a lot of times, you know, they, they're really trying to do the right thing and they're sincere about that. And, uh, you know, if you quote these quotes that I just gave you, uh, which Prabhupada wrote in the light of the Bhagavad, they're not going to believe you. So unless somebody is very, very spiritually inclined it's it's it can be quite hard to convince them that cows are you know sacred animals and and the food derived from the cows is the most important food so i tend to quote evidence that i've heard from uh different authorities about the benefits of cow milk and the deficiency in a vegan diet like I read a report by the British health authorities about how vegans, uh, young vegans, they're very concerned, the health authorities, how they will have difficulties later on in their life. And then, uh, you know, I have a friend who's a research associate at the University of Florida, who's done a lot of research into the benefits of cow's milk, raw cow's milk, and uh, how it has enzymes that fight cancer. And historically speaking, if you, if you look at what many health experts, especially from the past, they say that milk is the most, most nutritious food. And of course, and the thing is we study the Vedas and the Vedas say that you can't be healthy without milk products. So, you know, the, the Ayurveda emphasize milk products as the most important food. So we, you know, because people don't accept the Vedas, you know, non-devotees aren't going to accept the Vedas. It's very hard to preach to them about this. But, um, you know, I have some young people that I preach to and they, they'll eat milk products because they come from protected cows. But I feel that if the Vedas, you know, we believe the Vedas are true. So if it's true that you can't be healthy without milk products, after some time, it's going to become quite apparent that veganism doesn't work. And people will realize that you need, need milk products because, but because these people are vegans and they care about the animals, they will have to start protecting cows. So they may be the ones that save the cows, the vegans. 
you understand what I'm saying? Because, mm. because, you know, according to Ayurveda, the, I mean, aside from the fact that the, the brain substance is improved with the milk products, which they're not going to accept that, <laughs> I'm sure. But because we believe in the Vedas, we believe that. So, you know, they're not going to believe that Krishna has 16,000 wives. They're not going to believe that Krishna picked up a mountain with his little finger. Because they don't, they're not devotees. So it's very hard for devotees to understand these very inconceivable aspects of Krishna's creation, like how milk products have so much benefit, how cows are so important. Because, you know, if you tell them, well, you know, we need to get rid of all the modern farming equipment and start using oxen, then they're just going to laugh at you. So, but if we could show them a community, like they have a community in Hungary, which, uh, which is very successful. And uh, Tamar Krishnamaraj went there actually in the year 2000. And he was just in total ecstasy when he went there. And they show people cow protection and they have many tourists that come every year. And they're amazed at how all these devotees can live there. And, you know, they don't have electricity and they live very simply. They don't go to the movies. They don't go to, they don't have TVs. Or, you know. So they live simply, but they're all satisfied. They, they don't want to leave there. They love it there. So it's, it's, if we could show people these things in action and show how beautiful a young calf is, you know, baby, little cow, and how these, so many people are eating veal, you know, little baby cows, they put them in boxes so they don't move around and get muscles so they're more tender to eat, just so demoniac. So, because most people, they're not intelligent enough to understand all these subtle aspects of Vedic culture, there's not a lot you can say to, to, you know, prove that it's right. I mean, we have certain arguments. But they, you know, they have almond milk and all kinds of milk. But they call it milk because, you know, they're trying to replace real milk. But they use the word milk because everybody knows milk's important. But, you know, until we show people cow protection and that we really do look after the cows and care for them, then, uh, you know, we can't really convince people. But it's not easy to convince a hardcore vegan because they they're like born again Christians from my experience, you know. <laughs> if you've ever preached to born again Christians, it's impossible. <laughs> they just don't get it. So vegans are often like that. You know, they're very stubborn. They'll cite all kinds of evidence that they've got from some, 
you know, so authority who's trumped up some kind of, but, you know, we believe in the Vedas. What can you do? We're devotees. So devotees are rare. So most people aren't going to believe what we say. But there's a few out there that will, and gradually as we become stronger and, you know, we show people this perfect way of life, people will become convinced. Because they'll see, oh, these people are happy, they're healthy, they don't have problems. But if we don't show people, you know, an actual example, it's hard for people to be convinced. Okay? Thank you. All right, Hare Krishna. So, uh, are you the Savabhama that was in Dallas? Yes. I've met you at some... Yeah, I've met you. We, I know you well. Some rock concerts. I saw you distributing books. Yeah, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Yeah, we did books together somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Hare Krishna. All right, Winston. Over to you. All right. I guess we'll play a few minutes of Kirtan and then we'll uh, and then we'll wrap up tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, Hare Krishna. Yeah, I have to get up early because I got to dress the deities tomorrow. Okay. That's so awesome. I'll say good night. All right. Good night. Be well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I can talk about other things, you know. I'm sorry. I said I can talk about other topics. Okay. Awesome. Not just cow protection or farming, but you know, it's something. It's important. For sure. All right. Hare Bol. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, everybody. Thank you. All right, we'll just play a few minutes of uh, Adi Karza Prabhu's Kirits and then we'll do some announcements. Thank <laughs> you. 
announcements. Um, next week we'll actually uh, be swapping slots um, with a program by Ramapada Swami. Um, so if you're interested, um, please send us a note in the chat and we can forward you the information if you're not on um, the ISKCON Houston um, Telegram. Um, we'll send that information to you. And uh, Laura, I believe you also have an announcement. Yes. Um I would like to present to everybody an opportunity to get back to nature, uh, just like Arikata Das uh, Prabhu talked about, which was a wonderful talk. I would like to extend on behalf of Hari, the farm manager, an opportunity for everyone to come volunteer at Bhakti Urban Farm. While the farm is not open program or other programs because of the COVID-19 the farm is still open for volunteer opportunities to help in the or with cow siva. So if anybody is interested in volunteering at the farm and we need volunteers there, and, and volunteering is typically on the weekends in the mornings, but any day is fine as well. Um, I'm gonna give you a phone number, so please take it down or you can look it up on Facebook under Bhakti Urban Farm. The number is 929 464 SIVA. So that would be 929 464 7382. That will get you in touch with Hadi and he will be able to guide you to the farm and how to get in there because the, the front gates aren't open. But we're looking for people to volunteer at the farm, to do gardening and also cow SIVA. So I hope you can join us. I'm there about three or four times a week. It's a wonderful spiritual experience. Please join us. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Laura. And thanks everyone for joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed the program. Um, and that's it. Um, have a good night. Hare Krishna. Hare Bo. Thank you, Winston. Thanks, Laura. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you.